Hi and welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host Anna Visser. Today we are going to be doing a feature, a deep dive on prenatal screening. And this came about, this came to attention when the New York Times actually released an expose on prenatal screening firms and how inaccurate they are. So to summarize this article that I'm talking about, basically they reported that 90% of the tests that come back positive are inaccurate. And that's pretty alarming considering a lot of parents who are scared, who just want the best, who, you know, are in a vulnerable state and just want some sort of peace of mind are, are being given this inaccurate diagnosis. And so we thought that we would do a little deep dive on it and kind of explain what's going on and what the effects of all of this are. And so this article features a family who was given, their baby was given a diagnosis of Prader-Willi syndrome. The doctor recommended that they have an abortion and they didn't listen and their baby was born healthy with no issues. And throughout the years, I have heard and it's been publicized all these different stories of families who have gone through the same diagnosis and have gone through the same tragic story of getting this diagnosis and unfortunately some families are so vulnerable that they fall to the doctor's recommendations and coercion of getting an abortion. But luckily there are families out there who have come forward and said, no, we didn't listen and we continue with our pregnancy, got some more testing. And then when the baby was born, we found out that the baby was completely healthy. So a lot of stories similar to those, to that one has you know, been surfacing and we're so grateful for those stories because they really bring to light how inaccurate these testings are. And surprisingly, I was pretty surprised to see that the New York Times was reporting on this, was exposing how inaccurate these testings are. And so the article kind of went on to say that these blood testing firms use false advertising to say to these parents who just want some sort of peace of mind after maybe maybe they have something in their families, some sort of health issue, or they're in a certain age group where they're more prone to birth defects or disabilities, these blood testing firms will do false advertising and say that these screenings, so these screenings aren't even meant for diagnosing. They're just meant for you know, there there could be a chance that there's a birth defect or something along those lines. So it's not diagnosing by any means. It's not meant, was never meant to be 
a way to diagnose a baby in the womb. It was meant to screen, to say, there's a little bit of a chance, there's this much of a, much of a chance. So they've been advertising their services of these screenings to parents and saying they're very accurate. They can test all these different um, different birth defects and abnormalities and see if your baby has them. It's going to be super accurate when in reality, these tests were created to initially were created to test for Down syndrome. And even then they weren't, they weren't 100% accurate. The New York Times really brought this to light and did this expose to show how these blood testing firms are taking advantage and preying on the, on the fears of these parents who, you know, in this moment, they don't know what's going on. They're afraid. No one's really giving them information. And they're, someone's just throwing this at them and saying, hey, you know, you should have, you abort your kid. It'd be way easier for you. And some of them fall to that temptation and to that coercion. And so we are really excited and happy that the New York Times actually reported on this and kind of exposed them. And so we're just going to go into a little bit of a deep dive of how prenatal testing works and um, how the abortion industry has really created it into an industry, how it has taken advantage of all of these parents and all the corruption that is around that. So a little history on the testing. The testing that um, the New York Times was reporting on it is called non-invasive prenatal testing, screening tests. And so that is obviously non-invasive. It's not um, it's not like an actual diagnosis test. And so just to go over the different types and the types that are common and the history of it. So prenatal screening became available in the 1950s and a test called amniocentesis is a procedure used to take out a sample of the amniotic fluid and then it is used in I believe the first I think you can use it in the first or second trimester I think in earlier in pregnancy to test for chromosomal abnormalities and it can also be used to determine the sex of the baby and so that is one way that you can test for abnormalities, and this is actually a way to diagnose. So this is different from the screening. This is the screenings are typically blood samples from the mother, and what these blood sampling firms are doing is they're taking this small little amount of blood from the mother, running a bunch of tests on it tests that they don't have the capabilities of even knowing are accurate and saying, oh, you have all of these things when it was never created to be able to test all of those things. So typically when you hear about prenatal screening, it's a blood test from the mother. Another way is through ultrasounds. Um, Luckily, all of these screenings are typical for you know, finding out the sex of your baby or finding or dating how old your baby is. Ultrasounds are very common and used with the blood test to see if there's any birth defects or abnormalities. 
and like I said, they're used to date the pregnancy and also to find out the sex. So these typically happen earlier on in the pregnancies. With these different tests and screenings, obviously the screenings are going to be more inaccurate than the than the the tests. And so, but still the tests we've seen through our real life stories that we post on our website, sometimes the tests are inaccurate as well. Then they're, um, they run tests for Down syndrome and those are later on in pregnancy and those are supposed to be pretty accurate, but they're not always going to be accurate. So doctors will use these tests to typically target women who are 35 and older because they have a higher risk of having um, a baby, a pregnancy with a birth defect, or they target families who have a history of birth defects or women who have their own health issues and are taking certain medication could also be a risk, like diabetes. More in-depth tests can be done in the second trimester. So typically, if your doctor has you go through screenings, they find something abnormal, they'll have you go through more testing. So that's kind of the process of it. And in these tests, the baby's heart, body, body size, and their growth, and the movement are tested. Blood from the mother can also be taken to show if the woman is at risk for the baby to have a chromosomal disorder. So these tests are typically looking for Down syndrome, trisomy 13, and 18. Those are the most popular things that people want to look for when they are looking for a chromosomal defect and those are typically the tests, the screenings that parents will go through and have their doctors tell them that they should abort their babies. So those are the most typical. What is the downside to these prenatal screenings? On the surface, there are no downsides to the testing as it can be used to help prepare the parents for whatever the diagnosis is, and they can also create a plan for treatment, whether that be within the womb or right when they're born. Prenatal surgeries are being done everywhere and they're becoming more common. Of, I heard of a baby who was taken out of the womb, had a surgery, I believe it was heart surgery, and then put back in the womb until it was ready to be born. And so medicine is evolving every single day, every single year to have all of these different surgeries. I know that they just, um, there was just a surgery that was done on a baby to correct, to correct spina, spina bifida. And they can also do these surgeries within the womb to correct heart defects. They can do surgeries for twin-to-twin -twin transfusions. So if all of this sounds great, what could the downsides possibly be? Well, blood testing firms figured out quickly that they can make a lot of money off of all these tests because parents out there are looking for a peace of mind. They wanna know that they're doing everything they can for their baby, and then they are also falling victim to the abortion industry saying, you know, your life would be so much easier. Your baby wouldn't be suffering. It would be responsible for you to have an abortion and possibly eliminate any suffering that you or your child 
may feel. So they know that these parents will pay for this screenings no matter the cost. And so they're making a ton of money. And unfortunately, the abortion industry has caught on to all of this. And I don't want to say partnered with any of it because I don't know that for sure. But there's definitely a lot of corruption within this and a lot of parents being taken advantage of and false advertising that that is meant to bring parents peace of mind but just causes them so much more suffering especially when they finally do realize that their baby doesn't have any birth defects and they think like I wonder how many other parents fell to this lie to the inaccurate test so even in especially in today's society not only are they targeting babies who have chromosomal abnormalities or heart defects or things like that, but they're also targeting the babies with club feet or cleft palates, which are so easily fixed within the womb and right when they're born. They are just, they're not life-threatening. They're not, you know, they're not there for life. And so they're easily fixed and And doctors are encouraging these parents to abort these babies as well. So what are all the statistics behind all of this? How prevalent is this? What is exactly going on in today's society? Well, according to a meta-analysis from the University of South Carolina, they combined all the facts and statistics and findings from 24 studies and found that 27% of babies who are diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. Within the studies, there was a range of 61 to 93% of babies within the U.S. are aborted because of a Down syndrome diagnosis. And so this obviously is a really high number and it sounds horrible. Well, in Iceland and Denmark, it is so much worse. They have basically eliminated all babies, people with Down syndrome. I think I read somewhere that they have maybe one or two babies born a year within those countries with Down syndrome because they're they're essentially at 100% free of people with Down syndrome in those countries because of prenatal screenings and testings and then parents being encouraged and scared into aborting their child and this really sad part about all this is that these countries will release this data to the public and and brag about it and say we've gotten rid of we've gotten rid of down syndrome in our country as if it's a good thing and so Unfortunately, the U.S. is is on track for that. Along with Down syndrome, the study also showed that spina bifida is children that are diagnosed with that in the womb are aborted at 63%. This is because women are encouraged by their doctors more and more to get these screenings. Like I said, on the surface, they're not bad, but I think they're just so afraid of 
of what could be what their child could have and the sufferings that them and the family will have to deal with and they know that abortion is an option and they hear their doctors who are supposed to care for them supposed to help them supposed to treat them to the best of their ability if they hear their doctor who thinks they have their best mind and interest say i think it would be responsible for you to abort your child so many of them believe them and continue to do it and so every one and three families will get these testings done to see possibly what could be going on with their child and a lot of doctors are recommending that parents that women do this especially if they fall into the different groups that I mentioned earlier that might be at higher risk like I said earlier there are so many different stories that have come out to the news that have come out just in general and the pro-life movement and and like in this New York Times article which is most certainly not pro-life but you know it's coming out more and more that all of these stories all of these stories of families who have been encouraged to abort their child and then found out later that they don't have anything wrong with them so on our website we have a series called real life stories and one of them this actually happened to the family so adeline raymond was diagnosed with multiple birth defects and possibly with down syndrome i believe you can find this story on our website if you just look up real life stories and i think it was at 20 weeks they were given this diagnosis and they were encouraged and said it would be responsible of you to abort your child they're not going to survive very long and that i think the doctor really pressured them for what it sounded like in their story they said no way we're getting a new doctor went to the new doctor and found and did some more testing found out that they didn't have any of those birth defects and that the baby had a higher risk of being a of having down syndrome but they still didn't know so they give birth to this baby and she's completely healthy nothing wrong with her you hear about these stories happening over and over and so that's why it's so great that the new york times finally released something to to the mass media where a lot of people can read it and realize that this is happening and not fall victim to this for their for themselves and for their family to end this on a positive note on a note for advocating for these parents and for these babies there is a woman's right to know act that is sitting on the floor of the michigan house of representatives Within this act, there is a prenatally diagnosed conditions awareness act that says that doctors are required to give women accurate information rather than the worst case scenario, rather than referrals to genetic counselors and vague descriptions about the diagnosis that they are giving to their patients. So doctors would be required to create a website with medically accurate information about prenatal conditions. They would be required to provide support group information for parents who do have a child who is diagnosed with these, with whatever conditions, with whatever abnormalities or defects. 
and the doctors would also be required to provide information to parents about the perinatal hospice programs in case the diagnosis is going to be fatal after the child is born. And these perinatal hospice programs have are a new, relatively new thing, and it's a great way for the families to spend all the time, as much time as possible with their baby after they're born, and to just fill that baby's life with all the love and support and time they possibly can. So they're really focused on just getting to get as getting to spend as much time with your baby, making sure that your baby is comfortable and knows that they're loved and can feel the, the love around them instead of falling victim to an abortion where they would most likely suffer and not, and the parents wouldn't ever get to meet them. If you know of anyone or you have any stories like the ones I have described, real life stories where it didn't exactly turn out the way the doctors predicted or you were being, you were being coerced into or pressured into aborting your child because of a diagnosis of disabilities or you have any stories that are positive relating to prenatal screening as it can still be a tool used in the pro-life movement and for pro-life families as a way to prepare as a way to create a treatment plan for when the baby's born or still in the womb if you have any of these stories you can email us at info.rtl.org and we would be so happy to put them up on our website for everyone to read, for people to not feel so alone and to get some inspiration. So these stories are they're under the tab of real life stories. We have a bunch of them from abortion to disabilities to adoption to all the different topics that can possibly be covered. So if you know of anyone or you yourself have a story, feel free to pass them along and we would love to share them for you. I just want to wrap this all up by saying it is disheartening to hear about all of these stories and about how these blood testing firms are taking advantage of families and scaring them and not giving them a whole lot of hope because of inaccurate information and because they are greedy. It can be disheartening to hear about all this, but it also is a lesson to show that the more that we get this news out there, the more that the New York Times decides to actually do the right thing and report on all this corruption, the more we can let families know, hey, I, you know, I should be more cautious of these testings, of these screenings, and not take them so seriously. I should look into it more. I should just make an irrational decision and, and be pressured into aborting my child. I should get some more testing, or I should just trust that everything's going to work out the way that it is supposed to. And so, like I said, we're really excited to see this story being published and we know that a lot of people saw it and hopefully hopefully, a lot of readers read it, whether they're pro-life or not, and can say, you know, maybe, maybe this is going on in my life right now or I know someone and I should pass this along to them so that they can know about it too.
We hope that more stories like this can be revealed and that more information about it can be revealed and hopefully these blood testing firms can be held accountable. That wraps it up for this week's feature. I really hope that you enjoyed. Like I said, if you have any stories, feel free to pass them along and I hope that you all have a great weekend.